All right, you're dismissed. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Easy. Easy. Don't get too excited, all right? <laughs> no, it's a privilege and an honor to speak to you tonight. Would you take your Bible with me to the book of Jeremiah, to the book of Jeremiah, chapter number 33, the book of Jeremiah, chapter number 33. And when you have found that, let's stand for the reading of God's Word, if you're able to stand with me. Jeremiah chapter 33, and we are going to read one verse, and verse number 3. The Word of God says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Let me read that once more. Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. May we pray together, Heavenly Father. We need your help tonight. I pray that you help me to speak clearly what you have shown me through your scriptures. Holy Spirit, guide us into all truth. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. When we come to Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3, we usually will couple that verse whenever there is a life situation that would require that verse. Whenever a life situation is overwhelming and we need something big to happen, we'll claim Jeremiah 33, 3, Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. When life throws us a curveball, when, when life becomes rough, when, when the turmoil and the struggles of life become so real, we quickly turn to Jeremiah 33, 3, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. And how true and how comforting that is. But tonight I want us to place Jeremiah 33, 3 in the context that it deserves to be placed in. Jeremiah 33.3 means a lot to so many people. It has helped them. It's encouraged them. It has built them up. But unfortunately for Jeremiah, Jeremiah 33.3 really didn't mean as much as it does to us. I'd like for you to turn back a chapter to Jeremiah chapter 32. Leading up to this point, the kingdom of Babylon is sieging upon Jerusalem. The walls are tearing down, the gates are burned with fire, the people are taken away, and Jeremiah has prophesied that all this was going to happen. He even told the king that this was going to happen, and the king did not like that so much. The king decided that instead of Jeremiah telling him, King Zedekiah, instead of Jeremiah telling Zedekiah, that God was going to prosper him and that God was going to bless him and that God was going to overcome the Babylonians, Jeremiah had to tell Zedekiah that God said that you should not team up with Babylon, that you have no chance because of the sins that you've committed. Jeremiah is then placed in prison because of this. And we come up to chapter 32, verse number 6. 
And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came unto me. Now remember, he is in prison for doing what is right. Everything is going downhill. Everything is in turmoil. Everything is in a struggle. And not just Jeremiah's life, but in the life of all of Israel. And God comes to him in that time of trouble, in that time of a struggle. He says, verse 7, And Hanamiel, the son of Shalom, thine uncle, shall come unto thee, saying, Buy thee my field that is an Anathoth, for the right of redemption is thine to buy it. Well, pause right there. Now, if you're ever in a struggle, perhaps you've been in the hospital. I've been in the hospital. And if somebody came up to me and said, man, what a bad situation you're in. Have you considered real estate? If you've ever been in a, in a situation, and now all of a sudden you're expecting God to answer you or to help you in a certain way, then all of a sudden it doesn't happen like that. If there was anything that Jeremiah would have hoped that God would say, he would say, hey, just hold on, tomorrow you're going to get out. If you just sing this little song, uh, your chains will break and, and you can be out of here. But God is telling him that your cousin is going to come to you in just a little while and ask you to buy some property. And I want you to do it. And the Bible says in verse number 8, so... Hanamiel, mine uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison according to the word of the Lord and said unto me, Buy my field, I pray thee, that is an Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is thine, and the redemption is thine. Buy it for thyself. Then I knew that it was, it was the word of the Lord. And I bought the field of Hanamiel, my uncle's son, that was an Anathoth, weighed him the money, even 17 shekels of silver. And I subscribed the evidence and sealed it and took witnesses and weighed him the money in the balances. And so I took the evidences of the purchase, both that which was sealed according to law and custom and that which was open. And I gave the evidence of the purchase unto Baruch, the son of Neriah, the son of Messiah, and the sight of Hanamiel, my uncle's son. And in the presence of witnesses that subscribed the book of the purchase before all the Jews that sat in the court of the prison. And I charged Baruch before them, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these evidences, this evidence of the purchase, both which is sealed, and this evidence, evidence which is open. Put them in an earthen vessel that they may continue many days. For thus saith the Lord hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. Houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. Quite a dichotomy of what is happening in Jeremiah's life. He is in prison. They are being taken over by the Babylonians. The walls are being torn down, the gates are on fire, and people are being taken away. And now he is buying property. Why would he buy such a piece of property? In Anathoth, which is in Benjamin, a place that is going, it is on the warpath of Babylon. Perhaps uh, uh, Baruch and Hanamiel thought that, you know, we better get out of town for a while, but we just don't want to leave our property up to nobody if we were to die. 
the only next person in line to buy this piece of property would have been, would have been Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is in prison. And Jeremiah is in a struggle. Jeremiah is in a turmoil. Jeremiah is facing opposition, yet he holds on to something. Verse number 15. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. There's going to come a day, Jeremiah is saying, there's going to be that day. Though the Babylonians have taken over, though I am in prison, though you are losing field, hold on to the truth of what God says. Houses and lands and vineyards will be possessed yet again. There will be houses that will be built. There will be fields that will be bought. There will be lands that will be developed. It may look grim now, but hope is in the future. And it sometimes can be difficult for us to be in a reality that says differently. When all the world is crumbling around us, when it seems like the struggles we are going through and the promises of God seem so far apart, when we're going through the, the, the difficulties of life and the circumstances and the consequences of our own foolish decisions and the foolish decisions of other people, and yet we read that God will take care of us, God will meet our every need, He will never leave us nor forsake us, His eye is on the sparrow, and He is our Redeemer. We have all this truth, we have all these promises, but sometimes they feel so far apart. When Jeremiah was buying this piece of property, he was in a reality that was contrary to the future reality that God was telling him. He was in a prison. He did not have land. He did not have a house. They were under captivity. And yet God said that there will be houses, there will be lands, and there will be fields that will be possessed and bought and cultivated yet again. And he buys this piece of property... And he has something that he can hold on to. What I can believe. What I can believe. The process of buying property that's given to us in Jeremiah chapter 32 is fascinating. I believe that every word of the word of God is pure and precious. I believe that the main character of the Bible is Jesus Christ. It is not me. I don't get to be David. I don't get to be Noah and Jonah and all the brave people and all the wonderful people. Everybody is a picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus is from Genesis all the way through Revelation. He is in every scenario. He is in every chapter. He is through every character. And when we even come to Jeremiah chapter 32... We see our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, first of all, the plot. The plot. It says, Behold, Hanamiel, the son of Shalom, thy uncle, shall come unto thee, saying, Buy thee my field, that is an Anathoth. Anathoth is no place to buy a field. Anathoth is terrible location. Anathoth is now going to be overrun by Babylonians. It would be as if we should buy property in China. That probably would not be a very good idea. 
the freedoms you would lose, and then probably the Communist Party would just go ahead and take it over. It would, you would probably even lose your investment. Same thing with Anathoth. The Babylonians are on their way. The Babylonians have already taken over Jerusalem. The Babylonians are already usurping their own authority, and Anathoth and the place of Benjamin are in the same pathway. This place, this plot, this field is of little to no use. There's no value in it. There's nothing special about it. But yet God says, that is something, Jeremiah, that I want you to possess. That is something that I want you to have in your possession. Though you may not claim it today, I want you to buy it. This place is, is, is nothing of, of, uh, to be admired. It's nothing to be desired. Yet, God wanted Jeremiah to buy it. Secondly, look at the price. The Bible says that he weighed the balances. The Bible says in verse number, uh, verse number 9, and he weighed him the money, even 17 shekels of silver. That's not a whole lot of money. I don't know what kind of work Hanamiel and, and, uh, and Shalom and all them, I don't know what they did on this property, but that certainly is not a lot of money for a piece of property. In fact, property was probably, it was probably a great time to buy property. Everybody is selling, everybody is selling cheap because they're just going to get out of this land. They just need some money, some traveling funds. And so they sold it, this property, this field, for 17 shekels. In Leviticus chapter number 25, we understand that there are some customs of, of real estate business. That if you were to buy or sell property, it would be based, the value of it would be based on when it would land around the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee happened every 50th year. And if you had bought a property right after the year of Jubilee, then your property would be worth the value of 49 years or 49 seasons of crops. It would be very, very profitable. So it's very well understood that perhaps the year of Jubilee is just around the corner or it's just a few years away because the property is so cheap. The price of it was 17 shekels. Thirdly, notice how it was purchased. We saw the plot. We saw the price. Look at the purchase. We have the buyer. We have the seller. The buyer is Jeremiah. He's the one that is now called of God to buy this piece of property. He is the one that is required to pay the price for this piece of property. He is buying it from somebody who doesn't want it, somebody who doesn't care about it, somebody who's not willing to watch over it. The Bible says in verse number 9, and he bought the field, and in verse 10, and I subscribed the evidence and sealed it and took witnesses and weighed him the money in the balances. Verse 11, so I took the evidence of the purchase, both that which was sealed and that which was open. To the law and custom, uh, uh, to that which was open, and I gave the evidence of the purchase unto Baruch. So, when you were to buy property back then, there would be two scrolls or two books, two evidences of what you purchased. Copies, we would say. So, in this book, it would outline the property of who was the buyer and who was the seller and the location and maybe the layout and maybe the address and, and then how many acres or what was all included. 
It would be included, uh, uh, the seller would have his signature, and then the buyer would have his signature. The Bible says that he subscribed it, so he signed it. And there was two copies of this. The Bible says it would be one that is open and one that is closed. It would be closed with a seal. We've seen it with kings, you know, they'll, they'll melt some wax or whatever it is, and then they put their ring on it, and they've, and they've sealed that scroll. So when Jeremiah bought this property, he had two copies. He had an open copy, and he had a closed copy. And he said, I want you to take these two copies, Baruch, I want you to take them and put them in earthen vessels. Put them in a safe place. We saw the plot. He bought the field. He bought the price. There were 17 shekels. And the purchase, the buyer, the seller, the evidences, and not just those three, but there was also the witnesses. The Bible says in verse number 12, And I gave the evidence of the purchase unto Baruch, the son of Neriah, the son of Messiah, in the sight of Hanamiel, my uncle's son, in the presence of the witnesses that subscribed the book of the purchase before all the Jews that sat in the court of the prison. So all the legalities were made. There was not one area left undone. It wasn't like, hey man, just, just give me some money and we'll, we'll call it a deal. Jeremiah said, there is a legal way of doing this right and we are going to do it to the laws, to the, to the, according to the law and custom. We are going to have the price, we're going to have it weighed, we're going to have the scrolls, we're going to have the copies, we'll have one open, we'll have one sealed, we'll have witnesses, we'll be in sight of all the Jews, I will sign it, and then you're going to put it in earthen vessels until the day that I claim it. How could all this happen? I imagine that Baruch and, and, uh, and Hanamiel, they're, they're probably scratching their heads. And they're probably thinking, I can't believe this worked. I mean, we got our cousin to buy property and he's in prison. This guy, he's probably not thinking correctly. Does it, can, can you really imagine the day that he gets out and all of a sudden he's just going to obtain this free land? And I love how he finishes this conversation, this meeting He says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. Jump down to verse number 17. He prays unto the Lord and says, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for me, for thee. Thou showest loving kindness unto thousands and recompensest the evil, the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name, great in counsel and mighty in work. The remaining of Jeremiah chapter 32 is a communication between God and Jeremiah. And we can see that Jeremiah. I believe he begins to lose sight of the promises of God. Jeremiah is not perfect and neither are we. Whenever tragedy strikes, it's very easy for us to have a reaction of spirituality. 
in the moment, in the time, in the presence. It's, it's possible for us to have a reaction of spirituality and have a spiritual view. But as time goes on, it's very possible that our faith can grow weak over time. We've been praying for this person for year after year after year. I've been praying for my family. I've been praying for my marriage. I'm trying to get my money straight. I'm trying to get the job straight. I've asked God. I've asked God. I've asked God. I've asked God. And over a period of time, it's possible for us to have a faith that once was strong begin to grow weak. Then we come to Jeremiah chapter 33. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the second time while he was yet shut up in the court of the prison. Thus saith the Lord, the maker thereof, the Lord that formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. Call unto me. I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. God understands where you are. God knows what you're going through. God knows your struggles. And Jeremiah 33.3 still applies to you today. Not because you get to be Jeremiah. Not because I get to place myself in Jeremiah's shoes and say, I'm in a prison of my own life and, and this is, all this is bad. And, and now Jeremiah 33.3 is for me because I get to be Jeremiah. Not so. For we would not be worthy to even be compared to the picture of Jesus Christ that is given clearly to us in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 33. Or chapter, uh, Jeremiah 32 and chapter 33. What we see here is not just a picture of what God was going to do for Israel. Whenever the prophet was used by God, it was usually used for a foretelling and a forthtelling. I'm going to tell you something that's happening right now. Hey, all of Israel, this is a picture of what God's going to do. The Babylonians will soon be destroyed, and you will once again walk into the promised land to build houses, to claim your land, and to build out on the fields and to cultivate your fields. That was not only a picture for Israel right then, but it was also a divine picture of what God is doing and the grand scheme of it all. God not only saw the plight of the Israelites and he saw the demise of the Babylonians and he saw the oppression of Jeremiah, but he looked into the future and he saw you and he saw me. The God that was used by Jeremiah and the God that was used by the Israelites is the same God that wants to be used by you and I today. It's the same God that can be trusted. It's the same God that we can pray to. It's the same God that we worship to. The same God that Jeremiah lifted up his eyes and lifted up his voice to. It's the very same God that you and I today, no matter what we've gone through, no matter where we're going in life, you can call on Him today. Because this was not just for Israel. This is for you. And in Jeremiah chapter 32, the picture of the purchase and the plot and the price and the promise and the problem and the possession. And that's all the P's I could think of. All this was not just a picture for Israel, but this is a truth for you and for me. You see, the plot was nothing to be desired. The plot was nothing but made of dirt. 
The plot was nothing more than what the farmer or what the person could cultivate. The dirt itself could not do anything outside of the creator, outside of the cultivator, outside of the farmer or outside of the builder. The earth could not do anything for its own self. When you and I were born into this world, the Bible says that we are just dust. Ashes to ashes and dust to dust. That is all who we are. But the Bible does say that in Genesis that God moved and formed man out of the dust of the ground. You see, you and I are nothing without a creator. You and I are nothing without God. He is the one that has cultivated your life. He is the one that has changed your life. He is the one that has put you where you are. He's given you the job. He's given you the cars. He's given you the houses. He's given you the opportunities. He's blessed us with our family. He's blessed us with our church, you and I are the plot of field. But we were not in the possession of Jeremiah. We were not in the right possession. We were in the possession of somebody that was willing to abandon us. We were in the possession of somebody that was willing to leave us to the enemy. When we are born into this world, we are born children of the devil. We are born with our sin. We are born with the innate nature to disobey God, to please ourselves. And the Bible says our father, the devil, leads us and guides us to our own destruction. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. The devil has nothing good for you. The world has nothing good for you. And your own flesh has nothing good for you. The devil would want to leave you to your own demise, to let you just try to make it on your own. You don't need God. You don't need a creator. You don't need the Bible. You don't need to pray. You don't need the Holy Spirit. You don't need the church. You can make your life great on your own. It would be as if Anathoth and Hanamiel were just leaving the property to the enemy. So the devil wants to leave you to your own demise. The plot was not in a great position The plot needed something. The plot needed a transfer of ownership. According to the customs and the laws that were given in Leviticus chapter 25, it could not just be signed over. There had to be a price that was paid. We find that the price was weighed out to be 17 shekels. It's nothing. It even speaks to the value of the dirt. It was nothing. It's less than the price of a slave. It was nothing. You and I were nothing. In me dwelleth no good thing. And there's no good thing in you either. The value of us is so diminished. It's so small. It's so puny. It's nothing to be beheld. It's nothing to glory in. Yet there was somebody who was willing to look at the value and pay the price. I always admire people who go into goodwill and find good deals and go into uh, uh, these garage sales and yard sales and they find these good deals and then they'll sell it on on eBay or somewhere and flip it for an amazing profit. They'll look at a Mickey Mouse coffee mug that's selling for 50 cents and they'll buy it and sell it for like 50 bucks on eBay. And if you bought that, that's crazy. Don't be doing that, okay? 
People, they'll buy a piece of property and they'll flip it for a profit. They'll buy a car and flip it for a profit. They're able to look at something with little value, with seemingly no potential whatsoever. And they'll be willing to pay the price for it. The Bible says that he paid only 17 shekels, a price that nobody would else be willing to pay. It's so small, yet so great. You and I needed a transfer of ownership left to our own demise, left to our own selves. We would have destroyed ourselves. We would have walked down the path of self-destruction and eventually led into death. But there was somebody who was willing to pay the price for you and for me. When the Bible says that the wages of sin or the payment for your sin, there is a price for all that you have done. There is a price for all the sin that you've committed. And that price is death. But for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You see, there was a God that was so in love with the property. There was a God that looked at the property. They was looking at Jeremiah and said, there's going to be something great. There's going to be something wonderful. But I want you to purchase the property now. It doesn't have to be good now. It doesn't have to look good now. It doesn't have to have a good crop now. It can be accepted and purchased today. If you're on the verge of believing on Jesus Christ, I want you to know you don't have to come with any sort of glory. You don't have to come with any sort of talent. You say, I don't know what, you don't know what I've done. I've got baggage. I've got burdens. I've got scars. I've got wounds. I want you to know that Jesus Christ has already seen them. God in his great love has already seen the damage and the decomposition and the dirt and the decay that is your life that you've already made up. And he says, I have loved you so much. Because I know the potential, I know what's possible, and I've even sent my son to pay the price for you. The blood of Jesus Christ was the price that was paid for you. You say, I, 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 don't, I, I can't understand it. No, neither can I. Oh, because to this day, I still got rotten places in my field. I've got some rough patches in my field. I've got big boulders that are really, I'm struggling to remove in my field so that more fruit could abound. But I want you to know that the price has already been paid for you and for me. The plot is you and I. The price was paid by the blood of Jesus Christ. And notice the purchase. You have the buyer and you have the seller we have Jesus Christ purchasing you and me out of a heart that God has for us. But notice also those evidences. Remember when they were making this deal, the evidences were, were copies of the, of, the, of the real estate deal. There was one copy that was opened, and there was one copy that was sealed. The open copy was available to anyone, especially to Jeremiah. Anybody could pop open that pot, that earthen vessel, the Bible says, and open it up and read what he's got coming to him. This is his copy. This is a copy that can be read. This is a copy that can be enjoyed. This is a copy that Jeremiah can hold on to while he's in prison. But there was also another copy. And this copy was sealed. 
And it was to be sealed until the day of possession. You see, when Jeremiah would eventually get out of this prison, when he would eventually get out into purchasing or going to possess that field, he would take with him the open scroll. And in the open scroll would be his signature and a list of all the witnesses that were there and everything about the real estate property. And he would take this open scroll and he would go find whoever is holding on to the sealed scroll or the sealed evidence and they would count him worthy to be able to open that seal and they would compare the two and line upon line and precept upon precept, signature upon signature, both witnesses, the property and the price, if it all lined up, he was able to possess the land. So right now, where Jeremiah is, he has with him the opened evidence. I want you to take your Bible and I want you to go to the book of Revelation, please. The book of Revelation, chapter number 5. In Revelation chapter number 4, God is granting John this amazing vision. It's as if he has entered into the throne room of heaven. And there are beasts and there are elders crying aloud, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. There is praise and there is worship going on in heaven. And John has now entered into there in chapter 5, verse number 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven Seals, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? No man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. Pause right there. If Jeremiah, or if anybody else but Jeremiah tried to go and claim that property, they would deem him unworthy. If that, that property would have remained empty until Jeremiah and Jeremiah alone came to possess that property. If, they, if a guy came up here and said, uh, my, my name's Jeremiah, uh, and uh, I, I'm here to claim my property. I, they talk like that. And, uh, and they said, uh, where's your open scroll? I left it in my camel or something. And uh, they said, no, you got to have that scroll. You, you, don't have, you don't have the price. You don't have anything. You, don't, you, you have nothing. You are not worthy. And now John finds himself in heaven. And there's this magnificent scroll. It's written on the inside and it's also written on the outside. That means there's a lot of things that are on there. And it's sealed. Not with just one seal, but there are seven seals. This is one serious document. You better be a big time if you're going to be able to open this, prop, this, this scroll. You better be a big deal if you think you are worthy to open this scroll. He's crying out with a loud voice, Who is worthy? We want to see what's on the inside. We are ready. And verse number four, John says, And I wept much. Why? John, why, were, why are you weeping? 
All the elders are rejoicing and crying out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. The beasts are flying around praising him. The cherubims and the seraphims are rejoicing. And yet John is weeping because John cannot be in possession. Neither can he be a participant until he has been counted worthy. You see, John is going to represent all of us. He's that field of property. He's in, 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 he is in anticipation of what is about to happen. He wants to know, am I in possession of somebody? And I wept much, verse 4, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And it's as if that field of property just, nobody would claim it. All those promises, they never came true. The one who is worthy, Jeremiah, maybe he never would come. And John's looking at this, he says, no one's going to come, no one's going to open this scroll to see all that we possess. Verse number five. And one of the elders saith unto me, weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth unto all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the, out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. Oh, can you imagine what was happening in heaven? Everybody is rejoicing but John. Everybody is praising his name but John. Why is John in such turmoil? Because he sat with Jesus. He listened to Jesus. He heard the teachings and the parables of Jesus, of all that was to come. He talked about in John chapter 14. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. You believe also in me that in my father's house there are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. John heard all of this. Yes. He was in heaven and could not be in possession of that until somebody was worthy. And then all of a sudden there is an eruption around the throne of the one and the only one who, was ever be, who could ever be worthy arose and took the scroll out of him who sat upon the throne and they cried aloud, Thou art worthy! And the remaining Portions of Scripture and Revelation contain what Jesus does when He begins to open the seals. And He opens the first one, and the second one, and the third, and the fourth, and the fifth, and the sixth, and the seventh. And John is with anticipation. What does the scroll say? 
Does it say exactly what I've been told? Does it say that I will be in possession of what Jesus said I would be in possession of? We go to Revelation chapter 21 and verse number 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned with her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. In verse number 6, And he said unto me, It is done. Everything that was promised to Adam and Eve in Genesis, and everything that was foretold to the Israelites by Jeremiah and the prophets, everything that John and the disciples heard from Jesus would all one day, and there is coming that day, when the purchase and the legalities and the law is all going to be fulfilled. And that grand day when we stand with Jesus, the one who purchased us, the one who bought us, the one who's cultivated us, he paid the price. He's the one who went forth and he was slain from the foundations of the world, who bled and died on an old rugged cross for you and for me. He is the one that is going to usher us into the final portion of the legalities concerning this uh, concerning this transaction and God himself will look upon us unworthy just dirt yet filled with the righteousness of God because of the one who bled and died for us and he will say it is done it's done it's time to possess what has been promised you I can imagine the day that Jeremiah when he does get out And he's holding on to that scroll. And by the way, things don't get better for Jeremiah. Things actually get a little worse. But he holds on to the scroll. I want you to know that in your lap, on your phone, we have the open scroll. Oh, the sealed scroll is in heaven. And only one is worthy to hold it. And only one is worthy to open the seals. Yet there is an open copy for all those who believe. Yet there is an open scroll that you and I could run to daily when we are growing weary in our faith. We have an open scroll that is our source of truth. It is our source of strength. And as the world gets worse and worse, it has no bearing on what is sealed in heaven for those who believe. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 38 that his prison got worse. He began to sink in the mire. There was no water. It's just mud and muck. It's disgusting. Things get bad. And you can look at social media. You can listen to the media. You can listen to your friends. You can listen to your associates. And you can look on your phone. And you can read news articles and news headlines. And you can think, man, things are getting worse and worse and worse. And you're wondering what God is doing. Why aren't things getting better? Will things ever be good for our children? Our teenagers have no future. Our babies have no 
no future. I want you to know I am not looking for any sort of affirmation from the world concerning what God is going to do for you and for me. I am looking into the open scroll that he has given to us. I am looking into the perfect law of liberty and going to abide in because there and there alone can I stand and move forward and have strength and have faith for today. What I can believe, I can believe the Word of God. That's the whole point of the message. You say, why don't you just say that at the beginning? (laughs) This is our open scroll for you and for me. There's witnesses, there's a signature, there's the plot, there's the price, there's the buyer. There's the seller, the evidences, all that is laid out in here for you and for me. When your faith grows weary, look at the Word. When your prayer life begins to grow dim, look at the Word. When you're worried about your money, when you're worried about your marriage, when you're worried about your children, look at the Word. When you're worried about the future, when you're worried about what might happen next, when you're worried about your job, look at the Word. Look at the Word. This is God's Word for you and for me. Because He knows that while you sink in the mires, there's going to be that day when you will walk into heaven and possess what has been purchased for you and for me. And we pray together, Heavenly Father, I rejoice in knowing that I am a child of God. I rejoice in knowing that there is laid up for me a place, a mansion. There is a land flowing with milk and honey. There is a land that has no pain, no death, and no more tears. There is a place where we will rule and reign. Father, would you strengthen our faith in your word would you forgive us from straying away from your word let us hold fast the things that are given to us in your word and we'll give you all the praise in Jesus name amen